Lincoln Review, the podcast designed to cover the legal information profession with a slant toward technology and management. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. Well, Greg, we've made it to episode 20. Yes, we did. Oh, I know. <laughs> I wasn't sure we'd make it past the inaugural episode, but either we're doing something right or we're just gluttons for punishment. I think we're probably gluttons for punishment. So. Yeah, probably the latter. <laughs> so today's guest is a familiar name to those who read Three Geeks in a Law Blog. Ryan McLeod, who writes some very great post. <laughs> he does. Is joining us today to talk about his new consulting company, Sente Advisors. So Ryan is doing some very interesting things with the new company. And he had a couple of really good statements that he made in the interview, one which I now call legal technology jazz. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that is he's putting together things that have never been put together before. I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the information inspirations and, and Ryan's interview, I uh, have a couple of things that uh, we want to mention. So Greg and I are presenting on separate panels at the 2019 ARC Group Best Practices and Management Strategies for Law Firm Library Research and Information Services. <gasps> wow, that's a long title. That, that is a mouthful. <laughs> that's a mouthful. It's going to take place in New York on February 21st. And Toby Brown will also be presenting at the conference. So it's going to be a total geek fest. Total Total Geek Fest. Also, AAAllers, please, please, please complete the State of the Profession survey. This will give AAAll members important information on trends and developments in the industry. We got an extension until December 14th, so please take this opportunity to complete the survey. I have filled and sent mine in, Marlene. Me too. I'm good to go. All right, are you ready for some information inspirations? (laughs) Yes, I am. I think we need, I think we need some intro music for that. We do, we we'll, do. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if we can find something in uh, Jerry David DeSicca's uh, catalog to put in there that fits. Sure he's got something. <laughs> Quickly, I did want to put a shout out for Karen Lucky, who works with me uh, here at Jackson Walker. Uh, she wrote an article on introduction to competitive intelligence for law firms. It's really good. Gives you a good introduction, just like it says in the title. But it's one of those things, especially if you're trying to explain to other people what it is that competitive intelligence is, this is a really good primer for that. That's great, Karen. Congratulations. Yay. Yay, Karen. Now I'm going to change gears and I'm, and I'm going to get a little angry. As, well, as angry as I get, I guess. So, I, look, I got to just come right out and say it. I had never worried about Thomson Reuters before, but I think they're looking like they're in some deep trouble these days. You know, not necessarily going out of business type of trouble, but enough where I worry about the stability of their legal information market. These layoff announcements that they made this week, and we all know someone who was affected by these layoffs, yep. comes right before the holidays. It's just a couple of months removed from when they spent nine billion dollars thanks to some generous tax cuts to do a huge stock buyback in order to boost their stock so Uh their stock's up 40 percent they had nine billion dollars to spend and all of a sudden now they're saying hey we don't need these 3200 employees it's a business strategy decision i know i and i hate the companies that do that and i just heard congressman joe kennedy of massachusetts say these companies they see employees as, as speed bumps on the path to boost company profits and they don't mind running them over to get there. So to me, this shows very poor management on TR's board. And as a customer, I know I'm not going to see any of the effects of their cost cutting. I mean, are they going to say, hey, we saved all this money from 3,200 people we've laid off. So here's your discount. No. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> so, no, I don't think I don't think anybody's hearing that. Yeah, in fact, what I'm hearing the opposite. It, yeah, what I'm hearing is they're actually going to cut products. Great, less options, higher prices. I guess it's the American way, right? Mm. So I'm just going to end this by saying I am not happy. Yeah. Well, I think there are are many who also feel the same as as you do. So it's a tough thing. Yeah. Sorry. I'll I'll take a deep breath now. Yes, both of us. Okay, so I wanted to revisit uh, Civil. I've talked about this before on on the podcast, and then I just uh, saw an article on this the other day. The blockchain media startup Civil, who we've talked about before, is offering a full refund for purchases of their cryptocurrency. And this, if folks don't remember, this was the cryptocurrency um, offering for um, journalistic integrity. And so they wanted to sell the between eight and 24 um, million, but they only generated about 1.4 million. Mm. But Greg, all is not lost. Civil <laughs> intends to offer a new, much simpler token sale. I was going to say that that was pretty complicated. E- even I really couldn't figure out what it was that they were trying to do and what they were selling. So, mm-hmm. not, not yeah. that that says anything. I'm not. I'm not that smart <laughs> when it comes to cryptocurrency. It was complicated, and so I, I think Civil maybe understood this and now is going to go the more simple route. And so, to once those new tokens are distributed, Civil is going to launch three new features, uh, a blockchain publishing plugin for WordPress, a community governance application called the Civil Registry, and a developer tool for non-blockchain developers to build apps on Civil. Now, Consensus, a blockchain venture studio, uh, originally invested $5 million in Civil last fall. They've agreed to purchase $3.5 million worth of the new tokens. We will continue to monitor what happens there. Well, fingers crossed this time, because I know that you, this is something that you think can really be a game changer. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, really interesting. All right, well, let's jump into the interview with uh, Ryan McLeod. Yeah, I think everyone will enjoy this. All right. Joining us today is Ryan McLeod. Ryan is a principal and CEO of Sente Advisors and is a frequent writer on Three Geeks in a Law Blog. Ryan is well known in the legal KM field and back in the day when he worked for Norton Rose Fulbright, he had one of the best job titles I've ever seen. It was called the Legal Technology Innovation Architect. Innovation before innovation was a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. He was innovation before innovation was cool. So that that was the title <laughs> to say we don't know what to do with him. Yeah, yeah. sounds sounds right. Well, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So Sente is a new operation that you've set up. Brand new. Brand new. Can you tell us a little bit about this new business that you're doing? Sure. So uh, Sente Advisors is a consultancy focused on legal tech innovation. So you can see still people don't know what to do with me. Uh, Now I've made a business out of that. And now you don't know what to do with yourself. (laughs) Now I don't know what to do with myself. So what we do is we provide innovation as a service for our primarily law firm clients, legal uh, operations department as well. But what that means is that we have technology and we uh, can help them build prototype solutions to solve their particular problems, uh, whether or not they have already licensed that technology, uh, which can help them determine 
Uh, is this software that we want to license or uh, is it something that maybe doesn't fit our needs specifically? Now, when you say prototype solutions, can you give us some examples of what that means? In in my experience, when I was doing innovation at Norton Rose, I got a lot of uh, requests coming in from partners or practice groups. They had ideas about a great new product we want to create or uh, something we could do that this would make our entire practice around this particular area a hundred times better. And usually they had a rough idea of what something could be, although realistically they didn't they didn't understand the technology. They didn't really understand what was possible. But, you know, they had an iPhone, so they thought, they thought well, it's got to be an easier way to do this. Uh, my philosophy when I was there, uh, I have now transferred to Sente Advisors, uh, which was I built a sandbox of tools. I had access to a lot of different technologies, uh, some of which we'd licensed. I called that my toolbox. The sandbox were the things we hadn't yet licensed. Uh, when someone came to me and they needed a solution of some kind, I would cobble together uh, a prototype. Uh, a prototype is not a fully functioning tool, but something that shows how that tool might work or how it might look uh, once it was built out into a complete solution. I could turn those things around very quickly using the tools I had access to, take them back to the subject matter experts or the stakeholders, and say, if we went this direction, what do you think? How is this what you're thinking? Is this the direction you want to go? And sometimes it was, and we would do iterative uh, changes to the prototype uh, over time. Sometimes they would look at it and say, oh, uh, no, that's not what I want. <laughs> or, or say, uh, you know, that's that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but what if we could add something else? Uh, all three of those results were good results from an innovation standpoint, right? Someone saying, no, we don't want to do that at all. Cut this. Uh, we didn't waste any time on it. Uh, someone right. saying, oh, I hadn't thought about this in that way. Let's do something a little differently. What if we tried this? Also a very good result. It also uh, seems like it's a great way to sort of try out tools that you don't yet have a license to. You know, oftentimes we, you know, we see demos and things like that. And it's like, yeah, that looks great. Let's get it. And then you get it in and it's like, oh, you know, this isn't exactly what we thought. And it doesn't really solve right. the problem. And this way yeah. you're actually applying it to a real world problem. Right. So and that was part of the part of the plan here. Obviously, I had individual agreements with vendors when I was at Martin Rose. Uh, now, what we've done at Sente is we've put in place similar agreements with a lot of vendors, some of which are on our website, others will be joining them soon, where we have access to the tools and we can build these prototypes for you, whether or not you have those tools yet. Uh, that doesn't mean you can then take it and do anything without licensing it. But what you can do with that is you can take it back to your management. You can take it back to your subject matter expert and show them something tangible so they can make a real business decision rather than basing something on a demo from a vendor, which, you know what, the demos are always great, but they're rarely exactly what your use case is. Well, that sounds exciting. One of the things I like is that you give the attorneys a chance to to see something in order to determine whether or not that's really the path they want to go on. On our last episode, we talked with Jeff Pfeiffer at Lexus, and he talked about how he has his team working on sprint design thinking and agile development principles. Do you get? Do you have any type of principles? 
<laughs> I've got three of them. Sorry, that was me. That was too easy. That was way too easy. <laughs> uh, do we have any type of principles? We're big fans of design thinking. Uh, I've been using elements of design thinking for many years. Uh, it's it's not our focus. There are consultancies out there that will help you learn design thinking and uh, help you implement design thinking in your firm. I think that's great. It's a great way to do things. Now, a couple of years ago, when the Trump administration did the the travel ban, mm-hmm. you were working at that time, and you, on a weekend, I think, created a product that immediately like hit the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I remember right, you were telling me there was a certain type of concept that you used to get that out. Yeah, so that was uh, that was at Legal Tech. 2017, uh, the Trump ban had just gone into effect, and a friend of a friend reached out and said, hey, I I know these people at the SeaTac in Seattle that uh, are having trouble finding the the immigrants coming in, matching them up with lawyers, Uh, and they wanted to find a way to help with that process. Uh, So what we did was, uh, you know, I worked with them uh, mostly over Slack. I don't know that I've ever spoken to any of them, actually. (laughs) I might have once on the phone. But what we did was we, we determined, okay, how how is this information coming in right now? How do you want it to be coming in? And then we built a prototype. We did three or four iterations on that prototype over the course of a weekend. And by Monday morning, the uh, the application went live. Uh, it's still up right now if you go to um, uh, airportlawyer.org. And yes. if you're coming in from uh, any of those countries that are affected, uh, you can enter your information about where you're coming in uh, and, and some of your personal details. Uh, then that's stored to... To a secure location. Uh, an email is generated to people at that airport who then will uh, ensure that they have lawyers on the ground ready to meet you when, when you come in. And I found what you called it, rapid prototyping and iterative design. Uh, yes, rapid prototyping and iterative design. Yes, that's well, that's what we do. And usually it's because people don't know what the perfect solution is, right? You don't have your requirements up front. Part of the prototyping process is to help you identify those requirements Traditional IT development requires the requirements right up front. What you do is you spend two weeks laying out all of the requirements. IT goes away for six months, comes back with half of what you actually wanted, and by then you've lost interest and moved on. What we can do and what rapid prototyping allows you to do is take the basic concept, whatever that concept is, identify the problem you're trying to solve, build a tool that we think can solve that problem uh, and get it back to you in a couple of days so that you can uh, you can say, no, actually, that doesn't help me, or it does, or maybe we can change this. Uh, do that several times. In the course of a few weeks, you have something that is probably different than you originally intended, but more likely to actually solve the problem that you have. So, Ryan, you've changed your uh, role several times during your career. You've moved from music to knowledge management, tech development, innovation, to vendor evangelist, and now consultant. Can you tell us what it's like shifting careers and what important lesson or experience did you take from each of, of your roles? Is that an indication that I haven't been successful in anything, so I'm still looking for something that I can do well? Do not or- read into anything. <laughs> no, you're, you're just moving up the ladder, man. You're moving up the ladder. What's after consultant? Management. Must, oh. must, must move yeah. into management. Ooh, oh. I don't have to do that. Never mind. Take that back. <laughs> Cut that out. Important lessons or experiences I took from each of them. Well, so, I mean, first of all, I think the, the important thing is this is not a career I planned. <laughs> and none of those steps 
did I plan? So maybe don't plan your career. (laughs) I think what I've done is I've taken opportunities when they were presented, often when I thought, I don't really know what I'm going to do or how that's going to work. And the first thing that you do in any job change is figure it out, learn a lot. You know, what I've been doing for the last several months is learning how you run a business. I've done strategy for businesses Uh, I've advised businesses, but to actually do it yourself is a very different thing, you know, but each step of the way, it's been, it's been a change for me. I I did start out in music. I I found my real calling in legal technology. Who knew? Um, (laughs) But it was accidental. Interesting jump, you know? Yeah, it was. (laughs) was, um, Well, it's surprising how many people I know that started in the arts that have worked their way into legal. I think it's the starving artist. Yeah. And also music and technology too. There's, there's a connection. Yeah, I, there's think, a connection I, think, there. I think there's definitely a, a connection. I think the brain works a little bit differently in musicians and, right. and the same goes for legal technologists. Well, part of, part of what I do in my daily job is improvise, right? Um, especially when we're talking about prototyping and innovation. Yeah. You know, it's all about putting things together that have not been put together before, whether they're processes or concepts or ideas or technologies. I like that. I do too. Putting things together that haven't been put together before. I'm going to write that down. Mm-hmm. Using that. So um, I want to go back again uh, to your, you know, your title, Legal Technology Innovation Architect. Is in, in your experience, is innovation a difficult thing to accomplish in, in law firms or, or law departments? For firms or companies that are doing it right, what are some of their characteristics? And how about the ones that aren't doing it so well? Well, innovation is a difficult thing to accomplish anywhere. I don't think there's anything unique about law firms. Why is that? Well, uh, first of all, it's how you define it. What are you talking about? When Everybody talking seems about to want it, but yet it's, it's very difficult it. to implement. It's well, it's a it's it's a hot word right now. It's something that you know a lot of people are marketing their innovation and being innovative. You know, I think that's a legitimate thing to do, but it's also legitimate from a client perspective to ask, okay, what do you mean by that, and can you show us how you're doing that? Uh, the definition of innovation is uh, an interesting thing. There are a number of different dictionary definitions. The the one that I like is it's making a work experience better for everyone involved. <laughs> that's really broad. But uh, too often, I think, people come to me, people I talk to, they've got such a narrow interpretation of what they're trying to do that they miss easier solutions or better solutions uh, because they're they're not looking at the big picture. If you are looking at your innovation team or your, your innovation approach primarily as creating a better work experience for everyone, whether that's the partner, the associate, the practice group, the clients especially, right? you might build a tool that makes your particular practice group incredibly efficient, but is really frustrating for your clients. That's not a good innovation. Right? Yeah. So it uh, sounds like, you know, having conversations with your clients, you know, to really kind of understand what's what's going to work for them is really critical. If it's a client facing tool or or innovation, absolutely. You have to. Get or if it impacts involved. them somehow, like, you know, right. your billing, like your billing system. Without a doubt. Yeah. If they're going to be getting something that is worse than they have now, that's that's not innovation. Right. 
Right. Uh, one of the best innovation definitions I heard was getting to a result in a novel yet better way. That's yes. Yeah. What I like. yeah. Although I, I think it doesn't have to be novel. Right? I, I I believe strongly in cross pollination of ideas. So taking ideas from uh, different practices, taking them from entirely different industries. Usually the the innovations that come along that you perceive as novel are not are not truly unique. They have not come out of thin air. They've been taken from somewhere else. Well, it's novel. I, I think it's novel in that in situation. In that situation, that right. This... Absolutely. But that, what that means is you have to have a, a wider understanding of what's happening in the wider world, right? If you are strictly yeah. focused on your narrow niche, it's hard to innovate. You have to. You have That's to be, why you need diversity. Exactly. You do need diversity. Diversity of ideas, diversity of people, diversity of cultures. Absolutely. For firms that are doing it right, common characteristics. Well, the first thing is have an innovation plan. Even it doesn't have to be detailed. I think if you if you have an innovation plan that is extremely detailed, you're going to struggle because because then it narrowly focuses your innovation team and they have a hard time uh, seeing outside of those parameters. As we just discussed, it's about pulling in those outside ideas uh, to to apply them in a different or unique or not way. So having having a goal or a plan for innovation without uh, stifling it is key. Those who aren't doing it well, I don't. I think the best example there are some of the people I've talked to who have been given an innovation title but no direction at all. They are, are forced to fumble around trying to figure out what the firm means by innovation. Their best bet, if you're in that situation, is you know to go to management and and have a discussion around what the goals for the firm are, and then you can look, use those as your driving impetus for innovation. As somebody who has been on the law firm side working with consultants and working with vendors, how is life now on the other side as a consultant? <laughs> what is it that firms you think can benefit the most from bringing in a consultant like you? Well, specifically a consultant like me, like I said, we're focused on innovation. And despite that being a, a big buzzword right now, I, I do think it's something that the firms need help with. What we can do is we can help you analyze your tech stack for value in terms of prototyping. That's one of the first things that that we do. We look at what you currently have. Uh, if we're working on a project, we put together the, the first option that we, we develop for you is what you can do with what you currently have so that you can always make a decision to not spend any additional money and work with the tools that you currently have. Well, that's a, speaking of unique and novel, <laughs> most of my vendors start telling me the things I need to buy that I don't well, have so, so this so. is this is also where we're different. We're not doing reseller agreements with any of the vendors. So we're not getting any kickbacks from vendors. We want to be trusted advisors. And if we're telling you we think this is the best technology solution for you, you could be pretty sure it's because we think it's legitimately the best technology solution. That said, we're also not dictating what you do. Uh, what we will do is we will lay out four or five different solutions. Typically, the, the solutions we're building combine multiple technologies. So we'll give you the top level is this is what you can do with what you currently have. Second line down might be uh, if you brought in this other tool, you could do something like this. And we could be build prototypes for each one of those assuming that's technologies that we have access to. Then you can take those, show the pros and cons to your management uh, or to your innovation committee or whomever it is you're reporting to and allow them to simply make business decisions. This is what it would be like. Here you can try it and get a feel for it. 
this is what it's going to cost. And they can make a decision without the, the vendors coming in saying, we can do anything and everything. It's going to be perfect if you buy our product. By the time you make a decision, this is the direction we want to go. These are the tools we want to buy. Then you go to the vendors. We'll make an introduction for you. The vendors love it because they haven't spent a great deal of time doing business development with you. They don't have to come up with a whole lot of use cases. You know exactly what you want and, and how much of it you need, uh, and it reduces their time too. Sounds like you also have the ability to look across platforms, not just to say this platform is better than this, but rather to say, hey, this dovetails very nicely with this product over here, and here's how you get that, it to That to together. me is like incredibly useful because before, I mean, everything was sort of brought in standalone, and I think you run into problems where you have to make things work together. Yeah, one of the metrics that we're tracking with our uh, the vendors we're working with is plays nice with others. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if if they don't play nice with others, well, we're likely not going to recommend them. That can mean a number of different things. You know, there are certain vendors who have really amazing technology, but they insist you do everything inside their portal. Okay, well, it's great technology. We'll tell you about it because if it solves your problem, we want to help you get what you need. But the limitations are, as you move forward, each thing that you add to your tech stack is going to affect those projects you have uh, in the future. So if you've got one amazing technology that refuses to play nice with other amazing technologies, your overall tech stack is not going to benefit from that. And it means you'll likely need to buy something else later. So my advice to vendors would be open up as much as possible because you are not going to be the only tool that law firms buy and you need to allow your firms to use the technology in the ways that they will need it. Amen. In reviewing technologies, I, I imagine that you deal quite a bit with, uh, you know, the startup community and some of the new technologies that are out there. Uh, how would you say that community has uh, impacted change in the way firms and corporate counsel do business? Uh, I think you see a lot of them trying to emulate startups in some ways. It, it might be what's driving these the, the innovation push because you see startups that come out that provide legal services in a very narrow way that don't directly compete with law firms necessarily, but firms are smart enough to see that, well, okay, well, in five or 10 years, they very well might compete with us. Uh, so we need to be able to provide similar types of solutions for our clients so that they don't jump ship and go work with this startup, which is a multi-billion corporation in five years, right? That's that's interesting. You you ran with that question in a different direction than oh, yeah? I was expecting, because I think Marlene was talking about like tech startups, but yeah. I, I like what you did there. <laughs> we can we can go with this. We can go back to we can go back to the tech stuff later. <laughs> You know, in my experience at the firm, when I was inside the firm, I was on the tech side, right? So I didn't have a lot of experience directly working with the management or the business side of the firm. Much of that has come since I left the law firm. I worked on the vendor side. And that's where, you know, that's where I got involved with, with firm management much more often. So I hadn't really put it together in that way. Yeah, well, speaking of which, uh, what advice would you give people that are in on the firm side of technology on how they should be looking at the innovation. Um, I know you talked about make sure you kind of have a clear mm -hmm. direction 
on where you want to want to go. But you you said something that I think most of us would love to to do, and that is, hey, I dealt a lot with the management of the law firm, and and I was I was there to kind of get that direction. So, what's your advice to your counterparts uh, on the, on the tech side? Well, so the first is. <laughs> It's kind of funny because it goes back to my very first blog post at Three Geeks, which did not start its life as a blog post, but started as an email that I sent out to uh, all of uh, the IT department at Fulbright and Jaworski that, that was saying, look, we're not a technology company. Understand that first and foremost. And I think the most important thing that technologists at law firms can do is begin to understand the business they're in. Technology plays a major role in the practice of law, and it's never going to play a smaller role than it does today. <laughs> so you're actually, you're in a good place, assuming you understand to some degree what the business of law actually is, because they need help with technology to make their businesses more uh, efficient, more productive, uh, more profitable. But if you are approaching the technology problems at law firms as if you're a technology company, you're probably doing it wrong. I'll <laughs> say amen again. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ryan, what are you excited about in the legal tech space right now? Well, so I'm excited about what we're doing, uh, which is why I'm doing it. I think, and you know, for, for years, I've been putting together solutions using multiple tools. It's rare that you buy a single point solution that solves your entire problem. What I've struggled with when I went to the vendor side was having to sell one product. <laughs> and so often what I was actually doing was saying, yes, this is how our product can solve this part of what you're doing. You pro should probably take a look at these other four things that can handle this as well. Now I can say that and, and not have to say, you know, this is our product, but say, look, this is the tech stack that you can use. I think it's exciting right now to be able to see how we can combine the technologies that are out there to be better solutions within firms rather than constantly on the lookout for the next great thing to come along that's going to make everything better. I, I don't think that's really a way to innovate. Uh, Innovation is not about buying solutions. It's about tying things together. Exactly. Ryan and I have known each other for probably a, most of the decade, if not more. And uh, there's a not very well-kept secret that if you go out with Ryan within like 15 minutes, probably going to end up <laughs> in an Irish pub. So Ryan... What's the best Irish that pub in New York City? an incredibly easy question to answer. The one that's closest to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're well going to have to leave done, it at that. Well <laughs> I think so. Well, Ryan, thank you for joining Thanks us today. Ryan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Ryan. Bye. Bye. Okay, bye. Ryan's words of wisdom for legal IT professionals were great. IT will never play a smaller role than it does today. Now, that's a good way to put the importance of what uh, legal techies do. That and reminding them that we are not a technology company. <laughs> Wise words indeed, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah, I say that all the time. <laughs> he had so many great insights. Uh, I particularly enjoyed his eat, pray, love discussion about his career journey. Yeah, he's going to um, love that. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> 
He didn't plan to be where he is now, but he followed paths where the opportunities presented themselves. It's a good reminder that while we invent these constructs that, you know, we have control over our careers, it's not always the case. And we need to be mindful of opportunities when they present themselves. So, you know, the path is not always linear, is it, Greg? No, it's not. My career path kind of looks like a corkscrew. So, but that could be from the tequila. I don't know. I, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to all you, our listeners of the Geek and Review. Don't forget to click the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you listen, as well as rate and review the Geek and Review so that others can find us. Your comments really do help others find us. So leave us some nice remarks. Won't you please? Yeah, please. Also, we really want to hear from you. Do not be lurkers. A few of you have been brave. So the rest of you, please don't be shy. You can tweet us at at GayBauerM or at Glambert if you have any comments or suggestions. Thanks again to Ryan McLeod, Principal and CEO of Sente Advisors, for all his wisdom today. Thanks, Ryan. Ryan, you are wise beyond your years. So, Also, thanks to Jerry David DeSicca for the great music. Everyone go out and check out his website and listen to him on Spotify. I know I do. Happy Festivus, Marlene. Happy Festivus, Greg. All right, bye. Ciao. Get all Italian on. I went all Italian on. Sam.